got a question for you. How are you feeling today? How are you feeling? I hear amazing and excellent. Great, great. Anybody grumpy? Anybody annoyed? Agitated? Anybody feeling worried or anxious or burned out or maybe teetering on depression? Maybe to the point where some days you're just thinking, maybe I just need to give up. You know, if you are feeling any of those things, you're not alone. Because most of us feel those things from time to time. And the problem is that when we feel those things, we like to hide those things, don't we? We don't want to admit those things and talk about those things and, uh, because uh, we want to mask it well and we want to keep pushing through because we are strong, right? And we don't need any help with these things. What makes it worse is if we do ever admit any of these feelings that I just talked about or that you've just felt, we feel then like we're a bad Christian. So we were already anxious, but now... We're even more anxious because we feel like we're not doing a good job at following Jesus. Anybody relate to that? Well-meaning people have told us that as Christians, we're, you're not supposed to be anxious about anything. Just put your mind on Jesus. They quote Bible verses to back it up. Early days of ministry, I was actually trained in a uh, method of counseling called Nuthetic counseling. And what the premise of nuthetic counseling was is that everything is sin, and if you get rid of the sin, you get rid of the problem. Every problem is sin. If you get rid of the sin, you get rid of the problem. The definition of nuthetic counseling is this it's a faith based counseling method that repudiates psychology on the grounds that it is secular and humanistic, fundamentally opposed to Christianity, and radically secular. Now, that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? But you know what it does? It fundamentally denies the fact that we are not one-dimensional people. We are complex people, and at the simplest version of that complexity, it's way more complex than this, but the, the simplest version says that we are physical, spiritual, and psychological. All of those work together, and by the way, they all actually affect each other. So when... We look at just one dimension, and in the church, it's usually the spiritual dimension we're looking at, but if that's all we address, it's like when we only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Abraham Maslow said that. If we only have a hammer, that's the only tool you have, then everything's going to look like a nail, and you know what you do with a hammer when you hit a nail? You bend it. You break it. You hit your thumb. You make matters worse. So... We need to look at ourselves as whole people. We need to understand that today. Because when we minimize it, it's called actually reductionism. We reduce it down to one element, and then we're not going to be healthy people. The church has been a common place where people come, and they hear something like, okay, when you come to Jesus, all your problems are going to be fixed. And people come to Jesus, and guess what? They wake up the next day, and maybe they still hate their job. 
Maybe they still have relationship issues. Maybe they still have financial issues because they didn't go to the cap course. Friends, while coming to Jesus be the best thing you could ever do in your life, it doesn't mean that your life is perfect after that. In the church, sometimes we say, well, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, so we shouldn't be worried or anxious or depressed. We should never be sad or mad, but always be glad. Anybody ever hear anything like this? Maybe it's just the bad churches I was always in. I, I, I don't know. And then we got a Bible verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Love this verse. Do not be anxious about anything. Have you ever been really, really struggling and you were vulnerable enough to share that with someone, how you're struggling, and they shared this with you? Be anxious for nothing? How did you feel after they shared that? <laughs> anxious. Didn't make it all better, did it? You know, that's got a name these days when people do that. It's called spiritual bypassing. And here's the definition of spiritual bypassing. We're going deep here for a second, then we'll come up and, and we'll look at the Bible, I promise. Uh, but spiritual bypassing is using spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business, to shore up a shaky sense of self, or to belittle basic needs or feelings. That's spiritual bypassing, where we just want to make it spiritual. Give it a Bible verse to make it all better. And the reason that we often do that, especially as Christians in the church, as well-meaning, loving Christians. You know why we do this? We do this because we use spiritual bypassing because when we encounter another person's suffering, we experience the vulnerability of being limited in the scope and scale of our capacity to assuage pain. What that means is we use spiritual bypassing because we don't know what else to do. We don't know what to say. And we, we, we become anxious ourselves because these people are sharing with us. And it's like, oh, that's way more than I ever wanted to know. And I got no idea how to help you. Don't be anxious about anything. That's how we deal with it so often. There's a counselor in Colorado named Kendra Hill, and she shared her story about spiritual bypassing, and it goes like this. She said this, at one point in my own healing journey, I was confessing to close friends my need for care from our community. I felt alone in my pain, and I was asking for help. With the purest intent, I was met with, what you really need is God your Father. She said, I sat as the words embedded themselves in my spirit, deflating my sense of being seen and known. I understood what my friend was trying to offer, and what he said was not untrue, but it severely missed what I was needing in that moment. What I really needed to hear was the love of God the Father through my friend. I hear you are feeling so alone. What, are you, going, what you are going through is so painful, and I'm here. I needed my friend to mourn with me. Instead, I felt like he was passing off my pain to a God whom I always understood to show himself through his people. I left feeling more profoundly alone in my pain than ever before. Her story could be repeated over and over and over and over again because... 
it's difficult to share our pain. And most of the time what we end up doing is we, we, we suffer and we are silent and we don't share because historically the church hasn't talked about these things because there's been, uh, it's been a, been a bit taboo and there's been stigma attached to it. So that's why we're doing this series. We want to tackle some of the misconceptions and remove some of the stigma to help people understand that it's okay not to be okay sometimes and to offer hope for those times when you're struggling. So are you ready to go? Yeah, you want to learn some of those things? All right, let's go back to our verse again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Seriously? Have you heard about the floods? Have you went to buy eggs lately? Have you seen the last three years of global pandemic? What about the wars happening in the world? Do not be anxious about anything. There's lots of reasons to be anxious, and that's without even going into just the normal day-to-day relational challenges and job stress and busyness and expectations of those around you. But don't be anxious about anything. Some of you may be feeling anxious right now just because I brought up all that stuff that we all know is there, and you left it at the door hoping to come in and just worship today, and now I've made you anxious again. Here's some of the symptoms uh, that you might be experiencing if you're anxious. Difficulty concentrating. Don't do that right now. Stay with me. Stay with me, right? Feeling tense or jumpy, being fatalistic like the sky is falling, irritability. I don't know anybody like that. Restlessness, Blank mind. You ever be in a conversation and all of a sudden it's just like, I have no idea where I was going, what I was saying? It, it could be just age, right? That, that's my excuse. But it also could be uh, your anxious mind. Overreactions from little things that are insignificant. Kids making noise, things like that. Shortness of breath. See, it's physiological as well. Shortness of breath, twitches, a pounding heart, your muscle tension, headache, constant fatigue, insomnia. And the list could go on. There's lots of other symptoms. Now, any of these things are are normal kind of things that can happen to you. But when they are prolonged and they are constant, when they keep repeating themselves day after day after day, they're warning signals. You're not alone, though. Some people are more stressed, more anxious than others. Some people only have an occasional stress or uneasiness. They've got a task or they've got a test or something like that. So they, they have a social situation and, and they'll feel a little bit anxious. But others, it can show up in more profound ways where it can be crushing. It can be debilitating. And it leaves us to a place where we can't function. Sometimes personality comes into this. If you're a perfectionist in the room, you are more inclined to be anxious. Right? If you're a people pleaser in the room you are definitely going to be anxious and you're going to be a failure your whole life because you're not going to please everyone. That sounded much better in my head than your <laughs> response, okay? All right? So I'm trying to please you. <laughs> oh. Those things, yeah, it gives us, uh, it, cre- it creates anxiety in us and some other uh, personalities that might be bent towards this or people that are OCD or have lots of phobias or fears. So now with all that as a backdrop, I want to talk to you about the spiritual aspect. I told you that we're our whole people. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the physical or the psychological. Why? Because 
I'm not a GP. I'm not even a personal trainer. I'm not any of that. And I'm not a psychologist or even a counselor. I told you about my counseling training. It was rubbish. All right? So, saying so, you don't want to be counseled by me. So, I'm not going to look at those areas as much. I'm going to look at the spiritual because I'm your pastor. And because I love you and I care about you. And that's the place where I am qualified to speak into. Having said that, you, during this series, you may find some things that really tap deeply into you. And you may need more help than just the spiritual answer. Okay, that's what the spiritual bypassing was all about. You may need to go see a GP. You may need to make an appointment with a counselor or a psychologist to get some help with the things you're dealing with. And my hope today is to put us on a track where that's okay. Where there's no stigma about that. Just like if you break your arm, you're going to go get it set at the doctor, right? If your mind is broken, you need to go get it set at the doctor, right? So, diving in. The word anxiety, as it's used in the New Testament, means this. It means care that brings disruption to the personality and the mind. Pondering on fearful or anxious thoughts. That's the Greek word, merimana. Mon- oh, yeah, that word. Yep. And there's other definitions as well. And the word that kept coming up for me as I, as I was studying this was care. Anxiety starts because we care. That's not always a bad thing. It's when we care to the point where it actually disrupts our personality and the mind and we're ruminating on fearful or anxious thoughts. Now I want you to start with a a clear understanding this morning. I think you probably have already picked this out, but anxiety is not a sin. Feeling anxious is not a sin. Jesus spent some time right before his death. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. And you may remember the passage. Go look it up if you're not familiar with it. But he was praying, and it said he sweat great drops of blood. He told the disciples when he went to pray, he says, I am in deep agony. And then he spoke to God the Father, and he said, if there's any possible way, take this away from me. I don't want to go through this, but whatever you want, I'll submit to that. Bit of anxiety there the way we would understand it, about what he was going through. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is actually a signal. It's a signal. When I was coming home the other day, about two or three weeks ago, I heard something whirring in my engine, and then there was this little red light came on, and I saw the light, And I thought, bad car, why are you flashing a light at me? I don't want to listen to you. I'm going to ignore you. So I kept driving and driving and driving. And as I drove for about 20 more minutes, all of a sudden, there were many lights across my dashboard. (gasps) It looked like a Christmas tree. And I thought, my car is making me anxious. But my car wasn't anxious. You know what those lights were? They weren't there to decorate. They were there to signal we have a problem. 
Long story short, I, my, my car decided it wasn't going to drive me any further. No matter how, far, how much I ignored the lights, it said, "Not nah, you're going to stay here. And by God's grace, uh, uh, our mechanic uh, fixed it up, and it was all good within like 36 hours. So praise God for that. But anxiety is not a sin. My car was not sinning when it gave me lights. It was sending me a signal. Anxiety is a signal. In the Old Testament, we have a, a great example of a king who was in a very, very, very difficult situation. He had plenty of reason to be anxious. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in the first couple of verses, we read that the, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Minuites declared war on Jehoshaphat. And this is what it did to him. It said, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So the setting is this. Jehoshaphat has three different nations coming together, declaring war against him. See, it says they declared war against him. It was very personal for him. It says he was terrified, he was afraid, and then he prayed and got other people praying as well. Okay, that was his first response. When he's feeling terrified, he's feeling anxious, he prayed, and he got other people praying. So when we are distressed and feeling anxious, guess what we can do? We can pray and enlist others to pray. Now, that may sound oversimplified, but what we have to do, if we're going to pray about it, and, enlist, and especially if we're going to enlist others to pray with us, we have to stop pretending our anxiety is not real. If you're going to just say it's not real, I'm a bad Christian if I feel this way or whatever, you're not going to share that. You're not going to get other people praying for you. And you're probably not even going to pray about it yourself because you're feeling like that's unspiritual. Oh, I'm going to pray to God, but I'm feeling so unspiritual because I'm, I'm broken. It's a warning sign. Don't think, I just need to toughen up and push through this. Don't think, I have to fix this. And I'm preaching to myself here 100%, guys. But I reckon there's two or three of you as well, at least. Especially the online crew, guys. Don't be ashamed and try to keep it from others. Enlist others to pray. Now, I want you to look at how Jehoshaphat prayed. We're going to learn heaps here. He, he did this in verse 6. It says, he prayed, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. What Jehoshaphat is teaching us here is that prayer reminds us of who God is. See, he's telling God, he's talking to God, and he's saying, you alone are God. You are the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Jehoshaphat's telling God that in case God forgot, right? No, no, God knows that he's all those things. You know who needed to remember those things? Jehoshaphat. His prayer, by addressing God for who God is, he was reminded of who God was. Prayer reminds us of who God is. Then look on at verse 9. He says this. Whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. 
We can cry out to you to save us. And you will hear us and rescue us. Not only does prayer remind us of who God is, but when we understand who God is, prayer reassures us that he cares about our problems. See, when we pray, we're not even informing God of our problems here. When we have problems, we can come to him. We can cry out to him. He will hear us. He will rescue us. That's what Jehoshaphat told God. He said, these are my expectations of you, that I can cry out to you, and you will hear me. You will rescue me. Friends, we need to remember how God has worked in the past, historically in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And you know what that will give us? That will give us some reassurance. When we remember how he's worked in the past, we will have reassurance of what he's going to do in the future. And then he moves on in his prayer. It says, and now we see what the army, now, now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Do you hear the anxiety still in the, in the prayer? We don't know what to do. Won't you stop them? So he, I love it here. He's telling God what's going on. He says, God, see what they are doing? God, and if I'm God, I'm thinking, yeah, I see. I saw it before you did. I saw it in their hearts when they were making the plans, before they even started making the plans. But Jehoshaphat is saying, hey, God, are you paying attention here? I'm a bit anxious. I don't know what to do. But we are looking to you for help. Prayer releases the problem to God. It reminds us of who he is. It reassures us that he cares. And then it releases the problem to him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, we need to acknowledge that we're powerless and that we don't know what to do in those difficult situations when the three armies are getting ready to attack us and we're feeling powerless. We need to acknowledge that and not just try to push that away, not think that we have to stand up and fight in the midst of it. We're looking to you to help, God. That's what Jehoshaphat was saying. There was a, a doctor with way more titles behind her name than, than I could even understand. Her name was Dr. Caroline Leaf, and uh, she uh, conducted a study, a broad-reaching study that, that found this. It's found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Eight weeks. 12 minutes a day of prayer does something in your brain that can be picked up on a brain scan. Is that amazing? You know, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. It actually not only touches the heart of God when we give him our anxiety, but it actually does something in our brain. Now, that's all I know about it, okay? I can't tell you anything else about it, and I wouldn't even try to. Actually, in three weeks, I'm going to try to. A little more about our thinking but from a biblical perspective. Hang out for that one. So we pray. We remember. We're reassured. Our problems are released. And then what do we do? We take it back. Is that the answer? Of course not. But that's our normal response. We want to lean into that anxiety even after we've released it. 
Look at what Jehoshaphat did next. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. These are what, this is one of the people he enlisted to pray, okay? His name was Jehaziel. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. Very simply, we're praying, we're enlisting others, but we need to pay attention to wise counsel. We need to pay attention to wise counsel. If people are praying for you, they may be hearing from God about you. We need to listen to wise counsel. They may have a perspective that is helpful. Now, I'm emphasizing wise counsel here. If you've got something to say, if you believe you've got a word for somebody, okay, make sure you're not doing the spiritual bypassing thing. Make sure you're not doing more damage than you are good. Make sure you're hearing from God before you share anything with someone else. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to pay attention to others, and then we're going to take it back. No, no, maybe Jehoshaphat did something else too. Look here. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. We've prayed, we're paying attention, and then we need to pause. We need to pause, stand still, and watch. This is the easy part, right? It says the battle's not yours. You don't have to fight alone. The victory is not yours but the Lord's. You ever tell somebody, don't just stand there, do something. Say that to the staff all the time. Just kidding. How about don't just do something, stand there? That sounds awkward, doesn't it? But Psalm 46.10 says that. It says, be still and know that I am God. My bent is to always do something. I am wired to fix it. You got a problem, let's talk about it. I'm going to fix it. I'm not really good at pausing, standing, and watching. Got some stories I want to share about that, but I've decided I'm, you're going to hear that this week in the podcast, I think. So, so, so tune into the podcast if you want to know more about that. Let's look at what's next. In verse, verse 21, it says this. The king appointed warriors with weapons to take the lead. Is that what it says? Are you paying attention? You staying engaged? That's not what it says. It doesn't say he appointed warriors with weapons to take the lead. It says he, the king appointed singers. Okay, okay. I got three nations coming after me. All right. I'm sorry I'm not going to put Justin up front with a guitar to take on those three nations that are warring against me. I love Justin. And I'm going to let him sing later. But right now, I want the weapons and the warriors. Jehoshaphat thought a little differently than I did. He appointed singers. To walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Someone needed to hear that online this morning. His faithful love endures forever. We need to praise God for what he will do. See, at this point, they, they haven't got the victory yet. They haven't experienced that. 
They're praising God for what he's going to do. They're having faith. They're exercising faith. See, anxiety and fear need to be countered by faith. We have to be, be able to trust God. They praised him before the blessing. And then in verse 22 and onwards, it tells the story that the armies actually turned against each other and they actually destroyed themselves. Everybody was dead. Now, that's the time to start singing. All the, 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 the enemies are dead in the sea or whatever, whatever you know. Uh, but, but it was before the people were dead, before they turned on each other, before the victory came. They were praising God for what he would do. Then it says in verse 29, when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Series is called Finding Peace. Jehoshaphat found peace, not just in that moment, but for the long term. God turned his anxiety into peace when he prayed, when he paid attention, when he paused and stood still, and then when he praised God. That's Jehoshaphat. And that may sound like a story that's so far removed from our reality and life that it might be hard to relate to. But I want you to listen just for a minute or two to Natalie's story or God's story through Natalie's life. Anxiety is something I've always struggled with. My earliest memories of my anxiety was as a little kid going to childcare. I just hated it. My anxiety has been something I've always lived with, my constant companion. This anxiety monster grew as I got older. It grew and grew and grew, just as I did. It got to its worst at the end of year 11 and into the start of year 12. My anxiety became crippling to the point that I developed depression. It felt like I was in a tunnel and there was no light at the end of it. During this time, I went to a leadership camp over summer. It was a Christian leadership camp. At the camp one night, the leader was talking about how Jesus shapes you and molds you to be the person that he can use for his great purpose. That the shaping is painful, but ultimately it makes us better and we're able to be used by a great God. That night, I broke down into tears for hours. God was speaking to me through this message. God even gave a friend this verse that night to give to me in Psalms 62 verse 2. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Even though I was not fearing for my life in that moment, I was going through an internal battle with myself. The voice of anxiety and depression was saying, you're just not good enough and no one will ever love you. But God was telling me, I am your rock and with me, you won't be shaken. If you hold on to me, all those voices won't be able to shake you. Some people have these stories of instant healing. Mine wasn't. But God still did some miraculous healing through me. And now I can say that anxiety doesn't control me anymore. I've got a God who is greater than my anxiety. And even though I get times when those voices are worse, I know that my God is my rock and I will not be shaken. 
And now I get to have a story of how God carried me through my anxiety and a passion for young people who deal with the exact same things that I did. I'm so thankful to God that I get to share um, God's story in my life so that perhaps another person with anxiety or depression doesn't feel like they are so alone and that they know that they've got a great big God fighting for them. Today, Natalie works with our youth, works in our kids' men, and literally today, she's in South Asia waiting for the rest of the team to go and minister to global workers there. God's story. Natalie admitted that she went through a problem, and she was bold enough to share that with you. I actually asked her permission, by the way, to use that today. But God's story, what's God's story in your life right now? Are you feeling anxious? It's not a sin. It's a signal. It's a signal you need to do something. And here, here's a, just a few lessons from Jehoshaphat of what we might want to do. You may, not, you may need to do a lot more things than this, but start here. Pray and enlist others to pray as well. Pay attention to the wise counsel of others. Pause. Stand still and watch God work. And praise God even before the victory. Unless you think that Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 is a verse we shouldn't use anymore. Look at this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when you have a complete understanding, a more complete understanding, this verse is not just a platitude. It's an attitude. It's not something to beat yourself up over the head with or to beat other people over the head with to make you or them feel guilty or ashamed because of your struggle. It is a pathway to peace. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you that when we are feeling anxious, you don't want us to deny it or to try to hide it or pretend it's not real. Thank you for making us people who care. And Lord, sometimes that care can overwhelm us and lead us to places of anxiety and stress and worry. Lord, thank you for knowing that. And Lord, thank you for not condemning us for that. And Lord, as we try to get our heads around this finding peace theme a little bit more. I pray that you would be at the center of it and you'd be guiding us into the spaces we need to go to and away from the spaces we need to stay away from. Help us find true healing and health through you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.